Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted this week to have a fascinating leader who, in our last conversation together, he and I found so many points of contact, such a wealth of experience he brings uh, from his service um, in the military in the past, but turning a lot of businesses around and also developing leaders throughout his life, wherever he's been, leadership is in his blood. So without further ado, let me hand you over to this week's guest. Thank you. Uh, my name is Bruce Lyman. Uh, I, right now, I am a business improvement specialist. I'm taking businesses from uh, distressed states or not so distressed states and helping lift them to uh, another level. I'm also doing a range of work uh, in those businesses around leadership, but I'm also directly coaching and mentoring uh, leadership programs. Uh, welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. I'd like to hand you back to our host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Thank you, Bruce. And it was Prashant Garmi, who we've had on the series, who just said you were, for him, such a role model of somebody who has inspiring leadership in your blood. It's, you're just fascinated by the development of other people. It's a very selfless act in the way you do it. Now, that kind of leadership uh, has accumulated over time. You and I are a similar age. And I just wondered if there was perhaps in your growing up, and you've got some great stories and experience, perhaps you could take about 10 minutes to, to touch on this, perhaps five of the people or occasions that have had a profound impact on the leader you are today in the way you lead organizations. So Bruce, take us back through history a bit and, and those perhaps five occasions which have had such a profound impact on you. Yeah, I, I'm reluctant to go too far back, but if I really do test um, the leadership story, I, I'm really blessed by having really important formative leadership uh, shaping me as a, as a kid. And uh, you don't appreciate it at the time, but in hindsight, there was groundwork laid there, which uh, still uh, has an impact uh, 50 plus years later. I grew up in a, a farming community. Uh, we're a small country town and I had a, a large number of male role models in my life who were hands-off leaders. You know, their, their leadership was uh, really about showing you how to do things their leadership was about creating expectations and opportunities. I was, uh, just as a, an example, I was uh, driving, well, I wasn't driving, I was a passenger in a car with a farmer who decided uh, he was too tired to drive and he pulled over and asked me to drive. I was 12 at the time. I could barely see over the steering wheel. And I didn't want to say no. And we were in the mountains of the South Island of New Zealand. So it wasn't a straight easy road to drive on he got into the passenger seat and promptly went to sleep and so I drove the car he didn't tell me how to do it he didn't 
uh, lay out a whole bunch of rules. He just expected that I had been watching and that I would know. And uh, a little while later, he woke up when I slowed down behind a caravan and all he said was, overtake it and went back to sleep. <laughs> I crunched the car at the end of that trip in the, in the gate <laughs> of the driveway, but he, didn't, he wasn't bothered by that. But for me, looking back on it, it was such a powerful empowerment. He trusted me. Uh, even though I didn't think I had the skills, and I really did not. And he was breaking the law, but I never thought about that. I just responded to that empowerment. And, it, you know, if that happened once, it happened numerous times. These men, including my father, just created opportunities for us to excel and to stretch. And if you made a mistake, you were never kicked for it. You know, just shown how to do it properly in the way you went. So there's some very powerful leadership uh, examples that were delivered to me as a kid and that really has stimulated me in you know like you I'm working with many different businesses around the world but time and again Bruce I'm sure you're experiencing this too you come across organizations where the leaders over control things particularly if they're founders founder syndrome and as they grow I think they're still micromanaging down there and and they're working like two or three levels below where they should be working in the fine detail of how they should do it, exactly how they should do it. So they infantilize people and, and people don't think for themselves and they just delegate upwards to them and they go, yes, yeah, Superman, I'll do it and follow me and here, do this, do that. And I just wish they'd think of the story of the farmer and the 12 year old. And he goes, you drive the car. I mean, that empowerment story, if they got that message in, they would, they would delegate to the point of discomfort, which General Mackay, who I had on this, this uh, show before, who fought in the Battle of Musul Kala in Afghanistan, you know, he, he's really keen on this idea of delegating to the point where you really are uncomfortable. But it's, it's if you trust and empower without abrogating, the responsibility is still always the, the leaders, I think is important. What, what uh, thoughts come to mind for you, Bruce? And then please carry on with the story. Well, I guess if we're going back to uh, that principle, I, 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 was, I was blessed in my military career by having commanders who did behave like that farmer. I remember at two o'clock in the morning being uh, taking over for the very first time um, a responsibility for the intelligence brief to air crew. And um, I was, this is the first time I'd, I'd spoken directly in a sort of combat type scenario to guys who are very focused on staying alive in the air. And that ability to stay alive was partly predicated on the information that I was giving them. Uh, and so I launched into my brief and glanced around halfway through it and realized that my uh, senior officer was not there. The senior intelligence officer was not in the room. I finished the brief and I wondered where he was. I was quite nervous about the fact that he had left. And I looked out the door and down the hall, I saw him in an armchair reading a newspaper. And it was that was the message I needed. He was, he, he, he was broadcasting his confidence in his juniors to do the job. I spoke with him uh, a little bit later about that, and he said he forced himself behind the newspaper. He couldn't read it, but he was, he was <laughs> demonstrating, he was demonstrating that he was prepared to trust me. It didn't matter if I fluffed it; he was going to trust me, and it's so important. Yeah, and, and just with that one, Bruce, there's a um, the psychologists have done the. Uh, the work on this is called expectation theory 
and, and if you expect, like the farmer did, or like your uh, Royal Air Force, your Air Force commander did, if you expect the person to do well and that they, they can do something, they often can. But if you have an expectation, they're never good enough, and he's going to fluff the brief, I'll stand here, intimidate him without realising it, and listen in and then correct him when he's got it wrong, you, you will not grow. It's like, it's like having... I think someone used the analogy turkeys or eagles. Are you going to be turkeys in a barn under the, the intense spotlight or are you going to be eagles in an eerie with a lot of sky to fly in? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And, and that, that is not uh, a principle that is limited to a formal uh, work environment or, or a formal military framework. It's, it's a principle that you can apply and I do when I'm taking young people uh, trekking now we go into some some areas that are uh, risky there are there are areas that are outside people's comfort zone and apart from making sure that they have the right kit and they've got a modicum of fitness you trust them to manage their altitude properly you trust them to stick with the safety brief and you let them go and you and you watch them from a distance and uh, just just let them let them have it have a go at it, and you end up creating people that that, that um, end up realizing, learning for themselves that they can do more than they ex ever expected of themselves, mm -hmm. and that's that's a that's a real reward of leadership actually. That you see people grow, and um, you don't have to build them yourself; they build themselves. So true, and uh, we had um, from uh, Walmart. Uh, one of my old friends um, from uh, the military who, who'd left as a very successful full colonel, but he was working in Walmart on their leadership program for thousands of people. And he had one boss who was on his case all the time and about to fire him and didn't think he was uh, uh, academically as qualified as he should be. And James Cameron was the colonel. And um, do, do listen to his podcast. It's a really good one. And, and just this guy was on his case all the time. And James lost confidence more and more and more and thought, you know, perhaps I, I should go because I'm just, I'm just clearly not cut out for this. Anyway, luckily for him, rather than him getting fired, his boss got fired, rightly so, and left. And a new boss came in. And, and this new boss was like your farmer, uh, like your, your commander in the Air Force. And he goes, James, I just, I just have utter confidence in what you've done and what you are doing, crack on with it. And, and he'd you know, give him advice and he'd mentor him and just check how things are going and, and be a, often just be a sounding board, be a listening ear. And James realized I can achieve whatever my boss believes I can achieve. And in one case, he didn't believe in him. And in the other case, he utterly believed in him and he flew yes. and he went from strength to strength and he was so happy. Uh, in the work he did. And, and as you know, happy leaders uh, have happy followers because they really love the work they do. Yeah. What, what other experiences in, in your upbringing, Bruce, um, have shaped you in the leader uh, that you are today? There were a number, apart from the individuals who were influ influential in the way that I've described, I was very fortunate to be in... Uh, a leadership program when I was uh, 13, 12, 13. It was, a, it was called a, a leader in training. Um, and basically all you did was shadow an adult um, 
for a week of the school holidays. It was every school holiday, so we had three terms, uh, plus the, the Christmas holidays. And uh, I attended, along with my brothers and friends, uh, the most marvellous week every school holidays. It was 100 boys drawn from a rural environment. And uh, we had a week that was a range of activities, range of instruction, um, and, uh, and a period of time, I guess, through each day where you were just let loose. And we had these most remarkable um, physical activities that you probably couldn't do today. You wouldn't, be allowed to, you wouldn't be allowed to do them. We would have these overnight treks, for example, uh, really large uh, um, exercises where you had objectives to find and problems to solve. And uh, you had to, and on one, case you're on a farmer's property he was, a, he was a pig farmer but you weren't you had to get to the other side of the road but you weren't allowed to actually tread on the road you'd lose points so of course the only option was to go through this effluent pipe that ran under the road that was full of pig manure so we had 10 year old boys doing this stuff um <laughs> just so i could spend all night talking about the sorts of activities that we did but when we were Yes, 12 was the first time I was asked to become a leader in training. I got this little yellow badge and I shadowed the team leader every a bit like at the army. You'd have uh, a corporal with 10 um, uh, chaps in a section. We had a leader with 10 boys, uh, roughly the same age group, but there was 100 of them. So uh, 10 teams. And uh, I would I would I would. Uh, Come mealtime, I'd be responsible for making sure they're all lined up straight. Uh, I'd be responsible for getting them out of bed in the morning. And it's just simple leadership stuff. But at the same time, we had that uh, quite deliberate leadership uh, coaching by the, by the men who were, again, mostly farmers, who were leading each of the teams. And there was some, there was some quite useful instruction around how you inspire people uh, how you get people to do things they would not ordinarily do, like uh, in the middle of winter, go down a pig sewer, a, um, pig effluent sewer. Um, and and it, I don't think I appreciated at the time what I was being coached in, but as I moved into adulthood, these were principles that uh, I realised were really core to good leadership. Um, similarly, I had the opportunity... Uh, we moved to Australia when I was 15. I joined the Army Cadets. And we had quite remarkable training there. We had a, a number of men who were Vietnam veterans, very practical leadership, uh, and really focused on an inspirational leadership. A little bit later, I got into a whole range of leadership theory that was predicated on great man um, thinking. And, and uh, it just didn't fit. Unfortunately, I, I had had this other inspirational, hands-on, practical uh, leadership coaching, informal and formal, that meant that some of these other theories were not only, even though they were dated, they were being presented to us as um, you know, valid leadership approaches. I, I, I just rejected them. And, and it's interesting, I'm reading a, a book at the moment, an audio book, uh, Strongman Leadership, about uh, Dogen, uh, Xi Jinping, Putin, uh, and, and, and Trump, and be like this. Uh, and, and this idea of Bolsonaro, of, of strong men 
who who are you know seen as the the leaders to be but they're not and it, it's all you know they're all the, the sort of on the white collar psychopath scale and and, <laughs> and, and, and and you know even boris you know goodness sake. um and and so as you told your story there i was thinking back to my own childhood what had shaped me as a leader and and it was things like being in the scouts and being given chances to go out in the middle of the night and do these kind of things or a, a, a walk for charity when I was 12, where you walk through the night and you saw dawn coming, you know, you were getting to certain checkpoints or, or, or just things where you were given responsibility at an early age, even as an 18 year old at Santos, the fact that in a platoon of 30, I became one of the five that were chosen to be in the cadet government. There was a junior under officer, there was a cadet sergeant and three cadet corporals. And we're all still friends now. And 43 years later, next year, we're going to have another reunion. We've had frequent reunions with friends from Barbados and Jamaica and Nepal and, and Jordan. And we're still all together. We're still connected because those were such profound moments for us. So, so from the life experiences that you've had, and there's a wealth more, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a book in you, Bruce. I, I, I'm, if you haven't written it, I'm looking forward to re reading it when you do. But in your life, proudest moment and darkest moment. And what did you learn from each of those two imposters, as Rudyard Kipling would say? Yes, yes. Look, it, proudest moment is, is um, it's tempting to talk about something that was uh, sort of core to a business that we built. I, I and it does touch on leadership, and um, it was the listing of the company that uh, I'd co-founded, and that uh, that moment was really the realization of a number of dreams for people. And if there was a proud moment. It was grounded in the fact that these people had done some really hard yards. We'd, we'd grown a company from absolutely nothing. We opened the company bank accounts with $9. Um, and we went into a, the technical uh, world at the time of the technical bust. <laughs> we'd had the boom. And we were trying to raise money in the bust period in the late 90s. And uh, the, uh, you know, I, I had to attract people into the company that I could not pay. I had to attract investors into a company that's technology was fantastically immature and uh, somehow pull all that together and keep people at the, at the grindstone until, until we listed. And then there was a different dynamic thereafter, but yeah, there was a very proud moment of course um, of uh, being able to list uh, the company and ha and have everybody share that that moment. It was it was wasn't a Bruce listing. It was a whole company listing, and that was that was that was brilliant to share. I, uh, you know, in thinking about this though, the, the the real the real high points are any point where you see someone suddenly realise. You know, you've had an opportunity to coach them. You've created an environment for them to excel. You've created uh, an opportunity for them to test themselves. And you see something dawn in their faces. You know, they realize that they've done something extraordinary. They've achieved something beyond what they thought they could do. And that's, that's really catnip. 
actually <laughs> for me. Um, there's so much pleasure that comes from seeing people grow, uh, grow through stretching and, and realise they could probably do it do, do even more. They could, yeah. they could stretch themselves even further. So I'm, I'm very blessed. I have lots of high points um, like that. It could be with people that have um, come through uh, uh, a company exercise with me as in building a company. It could be uh, times in the military. It happened over and over again. It happens when, I, when we go trekking and uh, we take people out of their comfort zone. We put them into high altitude places and, and they excel. And that's, yeah. uh, that's, no, that's, that's, very inspiring. Very inspiring, Bruce. Yeah. And, and it is that joy that comes from launching someone or, or you, you're not launching them. You're helping them to launch themselves and taking personal responsibility, personal accountability and finding, I can do it. I got it. I can. And, and it's, it's almost like setting them free. And if you love them, let them go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about, what about the darkest moment, Bruce? What, what, we've, what was personally or in business terms, the darkest moment in your life? And what did you learn from that difficult experience? There's lots of there's lots of dark moments. Um, we tend to block them out, and so you have to dig them back up again. And you think, well, how dark was that really? Uh, I think any moment where you've let someone down, um, uh, you know, I've had I've had moments where uh, I've not been successful in something I've been aspiring to. That's that that can be dark, but it's not as dark as. Um, <laughs> letting someone down uh, I've had a number of occasions where I've had to downsize a company you restructure you're trying to manage your cash uh, we had a, a, a one person in particular comes to mind brilliant individual didn't really have any formal uh, university education but we put this person into a, a role where you'd normally expect to have that level of training that person excelled they, they really did extraordinary things and then we had to um, let them go um, still still sticks in my mind as a moment of almost tragedy uh, I can happily report that person went on and has done amazing things in a huge multinational organization but you still feel like you've let them down and they can be they can be very dark moments yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and and you're learning from those dark moments you know letting people down and and not achieving things what has it taught you that you can use now? What's the resource that comes from that tough experience? I think uh, it can sound a little Machiavellian, but it, it teaches you that actually it's not the end, <laughs> that, that these things are never, never the final chapter. The next day you get up and it's a little bit brighter. It might still be dark. The day after it's a bit brighter again. And, uh, you, you know, it's partly momentum. It's partly just drawing on those core values that you have. Uh, if, if, if you're living those core values about putting other people ahead of yourself, um, th those values lift you out very quickly. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's about staying, staying the course. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's, there is a, there's one thing that I, I have learned, and that is if there's a dark moment that's been generated by circumstances uh, that are not of your own making, but of the making of someone else. Leave vengeance 
out of it. Mm. Leave retribution out of it. That, that a response consumes you. It takes up far too much energy. It's not constructive. In fact, it's the reverse. It's corrosive. And, um, I, you know, I learned as a, I was probably 18 or 19, I learned to just let that stuff go. Uh, people in our community want to get back or get their own back. Uh, it's, it's, it just is never worth it. No, uh, I, I really relate to that and aspire to be graceful and um i'm very much a stoic i think sounds like you are in my philosophy and my upbringing and you know this too shall pass uh was what uh the slaves to the emperors would say when things had gone well or things had gone badly this this yes. too shall pass right. and, and and i i look back on my own life and i i've had some moments when i've been very deeply depressed because it's it's been a really a really tough situation I've been, and I couldn't see quite a way out of it. But uh, when I've used a variety of factors like eat, move, sleep, breathe, focus, and prosper to, to look after my health and well-being, my own personal performance, that's physical, uh, that's helped me mentally as well. Brain health is such an important thing because um, how we look after our brain affects how we live our life. And um, there's no doubt about it. When you're in a dark place, you can't solve many problems, which when you're in a, a more upbeat kind of this too shall pass, you know, okay, what have I learned? What am I going to do differently? Yes. Then, yeah. then you can, I think it was Mandela who said, I either succeed or I learn something and it's a teachable moment. And, and I love that idea of teachable moments. What have you learned? What are you going to do differently? Mm. Um, think about learning and, and advice, You've spent a lot of time and you still do giving back to younger people, helping young people go and do some really stretching, challenging things. If you could go back and meet the 16 year old Bruce Lyman, what bit of advice would you give the younger self, which actually okay, is relevant for you, but might be good for people listening around the world? Um, you know, don't worry about this or that. Uh, 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 and and this matters that's not important but this does matter what would be the advice you'd give to your 16 year old self apart from don't be a dickhead uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's 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 no getting around that for 16 year olds i think uh when i look back on my 16 year old self I, I i'm very blessed because i left school a year later let's make it 17 and I, as I walked out of the school grounds towards the, the gate that took me down to the train station, I remember thinking, well, Bruce, there's nothing you can't do. And that's not because I was clever. It wasn't because I'd, I'd had, um, uh, you know, some sort of clever insight. It was simply because I was the accidental um, beneficiary, my view, uh, my parents <laughs> put me in that school, but it wasn't just the school. It was a whole range of things that fed into me. And, and I, was, I, was the, I was the fortunate beneficiary of a whole lot of inputs that just created that understanding about what was in front of me. I, I guess if I was to, and I took a, a lot of sensible advice, including from a, a former um, British Army sergeant, ex-King's Regiment, who's now retired across in Perth, and I remember him just before I left school 
him saying to me, whatever gets put in front of you, he was referring to training, but I took it more broadly. And I think this is the advice that I'd give myself as well. Whatever's put in front of you, grab it. Uh, his advice was, doesn't matter if it's a two-day course on um, you know, painting rocks, do the course. You never know when it's going to be handy. And, and there's, there's real truth and strength in that. Don't let stuff go. Don't, don't think, oh, I'll do that next year. Don't think, oh, I'll do it after I've got kids. I, don't say, I'll wait till the kids have grown up. Don't do it now. Grab it now. Such good advice. Such good advice. Wow. Bruce, I'm really enjoying this. Thank you. I just want to appreciate you and the, and the wisdom the wisdom you bring. Let's go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass. Um, it's, it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, for those on the video, it's the, it's the, uh, the top tips that I've taken from various leaders. And, and I have committed, Bruce, in my trip recently in Peru that I will write my third book, which is going to be CEOs and Teams Inspiring Leadership, uh, and which you'll be in. So I, I am committing myself to, to write that and create the stories from the stories like this one and, and the other 220 people that uh, I've interviewed so far. Um, going around the compass, this is just a model that we found useful. It's not the, the truth. It's not the, the one. There's millions of books written on leadership, but we find it quite useful. So MQ is the first one, your moral quotient, um, your integrity, your values, your beliefs. What are your sort of top three that you have lived by? And what have you done when you let them slip to bring yourself back on track? Because we all do slip off these very high standards we set everybody else, uh, but we forget that they have to apply to us too. Yeah, look, if we're talking leadership and whole of life, and I'd, I'd like to bring a value in that, that ties the two together, it's humility. And I, I, I asked a, a team just recently, and I do this when I'm coaching leadership, you know, define humility for me. And unfortunately, most of uh, most audiences, most people who hear the word humility think weakness. It's not that at all. In fact, it's the most difficult, jolly thing in the world. Because we're all naturally uh, inclined to look after ourselves first. That's what we want to do, um, it's how we're wired. You could argue it's a survival mechanism. Humility is about the capacity to put other people's interests ahead of your own, to think about other people before you think about yourself, to act in their interests before you act in your own interests. Um, you know, in a most Machiavellian way, a, a most selfish way, you could think about humility being beneficial in this way. I'll tell a little story. When I was at my junior officer training, we had a dreadful instructor who stood in front of us and said, you are here to look after one person first, and that's you. Now, fortunately, uh, in the group of officers standing in front of him, of the 24, about 20 were uh, ex-troops who weren't going to stand there and take that nonsense. <laughs> and so he got held down, and rightly so. And if, if, if you are going to take that uh, approach, there's only one person ever looking after number one. But if you, from a purely, purely selfish point of view, simply say, well, I'll look after number two, three, four, five, and six first. 
then two, three, four, five, and six. Stand a chance of looking after number one. That's that's in the most negative construct of. I love that. Yeah, I love that. But if you genuinely look out for other people in your team first, and not just your team, your family, um, the people getting on the train with you, put them ahead of yourself. Then you you then build on that a raft of things that people strive for and derive formulas for. How do I do? How do I generate respect? How, this, this, which is a key value. How do I how do I demonstrate integrity? Well, if you don't have humility, you've got a lot of work put in front of you to try and work out what these things are. So the three things, you know, if you ground your leadership and your living in this idea of putting other people ahead of yourself, what naturally follows is respect. What naturally follows is integrity. What's naturally demonstrated is integrity. You don't have to strive for those things. They flow out of it. Mm, that's brilliant. And when you've, I mean, you talked about that uh, ghastly sergeant putting himself or everybody is, is just selfish individuals. This, um, uh, what was that lovely quote being a, a selfish little clot of ailments that thinks the world owes you. Um, <laughs> I've forgotten who, who that was from. It, I think it was uh, Hemingway or someone like that. I can't remember. It'll come to me. But um, when you've let things slip, when you haven't followed that, uh, how did you bring yourself back on track? How did you remind yourself? Going, oh, God, done to myself. You know. Can you oh, think look, of Yeah, look, there's only one way. You know, if, if, you, if you do let uh, those principles slip, if there's a lack of integrity, it's invariably because you've been thinking about yourself. Hmm. And there's only one way to handle that. And again, you know, you learn these the hard way, but you learn it through the wisdom of others. When I was at uh, our Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, there was a lovely old guy there who had been um, with the British Commonwealth Occupation Forces in Japan. And a very close relationship with the with senior people in the Japanese uh, royal family and government um, into the 90s. And so he was still... Um, uh, in, in gainful employment, if he wasn't looking after his roses, he was uh, working in the department with us. And I remember him saying to me, um, because he was ex-Air Force and I was ex-Air Force, there was a bit of common ground, but he was just a lovely guy, full stop, and it didn't matter what your background was, he was going to be a gentleman um, with you. And he said to me once, it was really stuck with me, he said, um, you know that the answer to all of these shortcomings, Bruce, is to simply be able to say sorry, even if actually you haven't made a mistake. And it's so true. Um, when, you, when you slip, when you fail, when you, when you drop that humility, there's only one way back. That's to go back to people and say, I'm, I'm sorry. It has to be genuine. You can't, I can't contrive anything. Uh, people see through that in a heartbeat. But if you're genuinely sorry and say it especially as a leader there's real power in that not just for them but for yourself because apart from anything else what are people going to do by way of response when you say sorry if they throw it back in your face then they're just demonstrating churlishness people mostly uh, respond very positively to it and conversation starts again 
you, you meant so much with sorry. Yeah, I, I, I so agree with that. It really lands very, very well with me um, on the occasion either to say to people, thank you for your patience. And, uh, you know, if, if, if you've had to hold people up to, to, to thank people firstly, but then it's a sign of great strength when you can say, I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. And on reflection, you were right. And I'm sorry. And, and you know, it, it just such a healing balm. Yes, yes. This old gentleman uh, made the very strong point. It takes nothing away from you to say sorry. Yeah. But it gives you everything back. And he was so right. Wow. I'm going to write that down. It takes nothing away and it gives everything back. Yeah, that's so true. Bruce, thank you for that. It'll stay with me a long time, that one. Takes nothing away from you and it gives everything back. Let's move on to the second one, which is PQ. And I can sense this is going to be a longer session than the other ones because there's such a wealth of conversation here and I'm not going to shortchange it. Um, <laughs> okay. PQ is meaning and purpose, uh, vocation, calling. Uh, when I was in Peru on this leadership retreat, I found myself running along the Inca Trail. There was, it, was, it sunk into the ground with the dry stone walls. And I said, I am living my life on purpose. I'm running on the route I should be on. And this is clear. So being on purpose or off purpose. So your calling, your vocation, what you're doing now, um, with all the experience that you've had, uh, what gives your life meaning and purpose? And are you on purpose at the moment? And, and are you going along the, the route you should be on, on your Inca Trail? Yeah, um, the Inca Trail was something we um, really enjoyed as well, but we, we actually took an alternate route up over the Salcanto Pass. And um, it, was a, it was a group of people that... Um, it was a range of people, actually, um, young and not so young. <laughs> We'd started out, as most people do, even though we were familiar with the challenges of altitude sickness, um, we had started out uh, at, at, um, uh, for the first couple of days uh, quite seriously ill from uh, acclimatization because you fly to, to your start point and you gain altitude rapidly. And, mm. uh, but we had a, a marvellous marvelous uh, trip through there and that's apropos the fact that those trips or the work that i'm doing now with businesses or the uh, contracts i'm doing with government or any of the business i'm doing is about um, creating opportunities for people to be sick <laughs> in the andes to to uh to to try things a little bit differently in their businesses to to um to, to build people up. And I think that's, um, that's, that, that is really what gets me out of bed in the morning. Mm. It's actually more than building people up. I, I, I'm a fan of the thinking that we're here to provide the subcontracting services for people. People need to build themselves. They are their own carpenters, their own construction people, but we can provide them scaffolding. We can give them blueprints. We can help them with the plumbing. We can, sanity check the the plans uh we can get council approval for things to be done 
and then and then you let them go. Go go ahead and build. Mm. And with, with that supporting all those supporting pieces, um, you know, it's about encouraging them to build themselves and showing them how to build themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, really good. So in building themselves and in doing these uh, very strenuous expeditions at 11,500 feet in the Peruvian Andes, you clearly have to be fit yourself, Bruce, and lead by example. It's clearly part of who you are. What's your top tip on brain health that works for you, but you'd recommend it for other people? Uh, and what's your top tip on physical health? Yeah, brain health is really, really interesting. Um, I, I, my brain health is um, my elixir for brain health. Uh, it has two components or two principal compounds in it. One is uh, the bush, the woods, um, get outside. Um, and we do that every day. Uh, my wife and I have a stupid dog. <laughs> And uh, he loves being outside, uh, as do we. And, and we know that we need to be out, out in the bush. And we're very fortunate where we live in Sydney. We can be in a wilderness area, even though we're in suburbia. But we actively get out every, um, at least once a month, more if we can, out into the Royal National Park or the national parks in our area. So that's part one. On a... So the second compound in this elixir is to do something uh, with my hands. The, the, the mental health is, is assisted by practical stuff. So I enjoy woodworking. Uh, I've got a house that uh, has a lot of projects happening around it, but it, it need not actually be stuff around the house. It could be a, a PowerPoint exercise. It could be something creative, something that just exercises a different part of my, my brain. Mm -hmm. And then the and then, physical side, physical side, and the physical side. Well, I th there's a couple of really important parts to this. Um, I'm not sure where it's come from. Possibly years in, in government service, but I, I am quite a fan of the regular checkup, um, and that's closely aligned to if you if you don't think something's working in your body, go and see a doctor for goodness sake. And you're probably the same. I have too many friends over the last five to ten years who've passed away from preventable uh, diseases and cancers uh, because I've ignored uh, the symptoms. So we're, we're at that age or any age actually, where you just need to pay attention. Yeah. Uh, I still uh, run. I still am in the gym most mornings. Um, I'd like to say five days a week. That's not always the case. Three to five days a week. Um, and I push myself in the gym. Uh, that's helped by the fact that I set goals I'm going to climb this mountain or that mountain. And so my physical fitness is something that I'm not doing out of a chore, but with a goal in mind. Yeah. And it's very interesting. My wife for my 60th bought me one of the water rowers, uh, which has this lovely sloshing noise as the fan mm. goes round in the wood. And um, I've started to get into zone two training. So I have the, the heart rate strap on here which is for me at our age, it's 99 to 116 beats a minute, 99 the lowest, 116 the minute. And, and to go 50 minutes of rowing, just continue at that level, is now seen as very good for, for developing more mitochondria, 
which is actually helps burn energy. It's the battery pack in our body, uh, but it's certainly good for our longevity and our health. And I then have one with a personal trainer, one hit session a week. So perhaps three of those, one hit session a week, a couple of yoga sessions. Um, but I used to do a lot more hit uh, and I used to do a lot of running like you, you know, running was my big thing. But, but for, for our stage, we've got to avoid the inflammation and we can actually push ourselves too hard with HIT. So actually zone two training is seen as a really good thing. So you can actually, if it's walking or whatever, you can still speak. And that's the yeah. sort of level that you know you're, you're at. No, that's, no, that's, yeah. that's true. And I, I think um, coming off the HIT and, uh, but still pushing uh, yourself, uh, particularly with your, your muscle mass, uh, bone density, mm -hmm. all those mm -hmm. things. So we do a lot of climbing. Um, we're in the climbing gym once a week. Um, and now that COVID's out of the way, we're allowed to get back into the mountains. So, uh, and that's a very cerebral exercise, solving climbing problems as much as it is physical. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's it's a slow. It's climbing is a tortoise pace uh, exercise. Yeah. Oh, it can boy. it can it can sort you out by the end of the day. But it's uh, it's a certainly I find at this stage of my life that's a that's a great physical activity yeah i have a lot of admiration for the for the climbers and uh just the just the the three points of contact and where you're going to go and you're thinking it's got it's got the whole lot eq next um what's your top tip for people you've got great emotional intelligence i can tell from our this conversation and our previous one but what's your top tip about emotional and social intelligence that you'd pass on to the listeners well, it probably ties back to the, this idea of humility being at the basis of our um, of good leadership. And if I've got the capacity to put other people in front of me, then hopefully I've got the capacity to listen before I talk and uh, to be tuned into other people's needs. Now, our spouses will tell us that we're not always tuned in as much as we should be. But I think that that's really the, the key hot tip if you if you're you're listening if you're thinking about their interests first then you're going to tune into a whole lot more than just the words um yeah and, and that, that can be that can be written as well i, I you know i i have a, a, a any number of very good friends in afghanistan from my time there uh, and of course they're doing it pretty tough at the moment now they're proud people and they're not going to tell you that they're doing it tough. But if you ask the right questions and you're thinking about the context they're in, it doesn't take too long to deduce what they're in need of and, and mm. how you can help. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really good. And a great admiration for the work you did do in Afghanistan and, and how tough that you had to leave there because otherwise the Taliban would have executed you. So I'm very pleased you did get out. Um, but well, they were, they were kind enough to let me know that... <laughs> I was on, on, on one of their lists. So that was, um, they gave me fair warning. So I would have been fooled <laughs> to have ignored it. <laughs> that's, de that's definitely going to have to be the title of the book on the Taliban's uh, death, death list. Um, I think that's got to, that's got to be it. CQ next, uh, talking about different people and different cultures, uh, which is cultural intelligence and, um, and diversity and the ability to get on people who are different from you, inclusion. What would be your top tip on, on diversity, equality and inclusion and getting on with people who are very different from you? I mean, Afghanistan is the classic, classic example. 
Yeah, this is this is a really interesting question, and it, it's actually very difficult to get forensic on it. I, and I'll give you a tip, but um, I have three other brothers, and we're all the same. There's something in our DNA that has us connect with the most obscure people, and we find ourselves living in Sudan or Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia. Or isn't one of your brothers ex SBS? Isn't he? Yes, and another was SAS, and the other was in the light infantry. So there's, wow. I was the only sensible one and went into the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we have this um, capacity to just connect with people, and I'm not sure what it is. We've all spoken about it. We all kind of puzzle over it as well. That we come from a, uh, a childhood that was very, until I was 15, I, I had met very few foreigners and then i landed in melbourne and we were the only pretty much the only anglo-saxons in our area it's very mediterranean greek and italian macedonian but um so i'm not sure where it comes from this this affinity that we have with other cultures and people that are dramatically different in their circumstances their outlook their worldview um and look that can be even be i spent some time in the US, working with the US government, you, you can have completely different worldviews um, coming from Australia to what's coming out of Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, that probably goes for most of the world. But uh, I think when I look back across, and you prompted the, the thinking, when I look back across my interaction with uh, people in Saudi, uh, people in India, people in Sudan, people I live with in Afghanistan, people I live with in Kenya, it was, it's really just about embracing that difference. It's a bit of a cliche, I know, but um, don't be deterred by it. Don't be frightened by it, but, but grab it, embrace it. Yeah. Um, you learn so much from other people. You, you learn in the first instance that everybody's got the same desires as everybody else. We want clean water, food, roof over our heads for our kids, uh, education, good health care. Um, we, we aspire, it doesn't matter where you are on the planet, you aspire to those same things. Mm -hmm. And then there are things that are true and noble and honourable. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in a, dink, a dinker's village and there's little Tuchel drinking warm Nile water that's going to get you into trouble later and, and have an affinity with them uh, because they're human beings. You know, and just, mm -hmm. It's really just about embracing those opportunities to be with people who are different. Well, I mean, Bruce, you have had some phenomenal experiences and definitely I think they should do a film about you with all those different places <laughs> from Kenya, Saudi, Sudan, the whole lot, um, which requires a lot of resilience, which is my next question, RQ. Um, uh, how have you picked yourself up? If there was a top tip in picking yourself up in times of adversity when you've been knocked down, what's the tip that you'd share with people? Keep moving. Yeah. Just keep moving. It's yeah. momentum. Keep moving. In, um, in what is easily my most appalling uh, period of my life, uh, I got up each day, put a suit on, got up, showered, shaved, put a suit on. Um, uh, I had no prospects of work. I was being evicted. Uh, the landlord came good in the end. He was, he was very generous. Um, and until I got myself back on my feet, I just kept moving. Um, it's very easy to lie in bed and feel sorry for yourself. That's that's a mistake. 
We're tempted to do it, but it's a mistake. Keep moving. Oh, yeah. Bruce, deep respect for you for that one, because, um, you know, people think life's good today and it's always going to be like this. But around the corner is a, a, someone with a brick back to really knock you down. And you've yeah, then got to, got to pick yourself up and realize there are people who are in a worse condition than you. Brand quotient is the penultimate one. What, um, what have you learned from 360 feedback? Because, I mean, you, here you are leading and developing other people, getting feedback on them. Um, what's your tip to people to learn about 360 feedback and, and to constantly iterate and improve the way they come across as leaders? Yeah, the 360 feedback, when it was first introduced um, as a concept, uh, was quite dislocative. It, it occurred for me in my military career. But ironically enough, your wise old NCOs, and perhaps not so old NCOs, are giving you that anyway. So it turned out not to be so scary. And that advice then, and it, and it always should be, is don't get ahead of yourself, boy. And that's uh, it's kind of parental advice. And I think um, the more years you get on the track, the more you need to hear that. You, you, can, you can get to a point if you're not careful of thinking, well, actually, I, I don't need to be told that. If you ever think that, well, actually, you do need to be told. You're always learning. Yeah. Uh, that's so true. It's like we're always work in progress. And even when we lie there in the coffin, there's still stuff to be done. And uh, I think we discussed when I last chatted, my brother David died um, a few months ago, age 63, uh, 10 weeks between diagnosis and death. And, and it, it stayed with me that he still had things he had planned. Mm, yes. But he ain't going to do them now. And right. so to, to live, uh, and it can be seen as a little trite, but to live each day, if this today is my last day and it's doing this podcast with you, Bruce, it's been one hell of a day and I've learned lots from you. And, and I, I just want to acknowledge your openness of your heart and your soul. You, you have an energy about you. And I understand why people choose to work with you and, and the people that you've mentored and coached have gone on to great things, both in business and elsewhere, but it comes across, you cannot hide it. And equally, when you're with people who are a complete shit, you sort of know they are and, and they're a psychopath or whatever that. Though I have been at times, the psychopaths hide themselves well and you think they mean well, but then they completely do you over. But that's a story in itself. A leadership, um, the next, the last one really is legacy and stewardship, leading things better than you found them. You know, you're big into investing in people, but what's is that your is that going to be your legacy? The way you've invested in people? Uh, yes, I hope so. I, I, I hope there are people out there who, uh, as a result of their connection with me, are able to say to themselves, "I now do things that I never thought I could do." Hmm. It's as it's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I love that one. And, and I, th I think you have touched, you know, you've touched my life just in our two conversations. And so I know innately it's in your in your bones. 
Executive teams, uh, my last three questions, executive teams, how do you deal with toxic individuals? You often come across them. And they, they, they like, like a bad apple, uh, as I had, I took one out of the fruit bowl the other day with the other different fruits and the pears and things. And one of the apples had gone off. And because it had touched the other apple, the other apple had gone off. So it, it is a classic one, the bad apple. What do you do to remove the bad apples from a, a, a toxic team to make the team high performing once again, or for its first time? If the apple is that bad that it's you know, rotten to the core, it's probably beyond redemption. And I think uh, in my experience, trying, trying to make a bad apple fresh again is, you know, that, that's, a, that's, that's something God does. That's <laughs> not mm-hmm. something that's capable of us humans. Uh, but if you have an apple that you suspect is going bad or is not quite, you know, rotten to the core yet, I, I'm, I'm always keen to work with that apple. So there's, there's two choices. You have two choices. You either excise it completely, go hard, get rid of it. Don't, don't waste time, energy. Um, these these people can burn you, can burn your team, can burn your organisation. Get get rid of them. But if you think that there's scope for redemption, then absolutely go the redemption path. Mm. And I discovered that as a very junior leader, I had a person who um, I actually didn't know how to handle. I he, he I knew he was I wouldn't say he was toxic, but he was bordering on it, and I didn't know how to handle him. So I sent him off on a course. I thought, I'll have two weeks of peace until I can work out what to do with him. And that course changed his life. And um, it was a, it was a uh, total quality management course. And he came back transformed. He became a gem, an absolute asset. And he's a friend to this day. He's, he's, and in fact, it, made, it was such a transformation that I, Went off and did the same course. I'm like, what on earth is? <laughs> it's good. Um, good for him. Good for the goose. It's and, good for the gander. And I, well, ironically, it it became uh, that took me down the path of uh, process improvement, which I'm applying yeah. now on a daily yeah. basis. And that was 30 years ago. So, uh, there's if there's scope for redemption, hunt for that, and and it'll it, it'll there'll be reward in itself. Yeah. But if there's no scope for it excise it yeah very wise great advice uh my penultimate question a, a book that you recommend people listen to uh ideally uh if there's an audio version that suits me as a dyslexic or read that's really good on leadership oh look there's there's so many good ones out there um but i really like um uh john maxwell's developing the leader within you that's going back a few years now 93 but I am a big fan of values-based leadership and, and it resonates with my thinking about humility. Uh, it takes me back to David who asked me to drive. Uh, that's, uh, that's an easy read. It's very digestible. It's enduring. The principles apply with your spouse, with your team at work, with the scout group you lead. It doesn't matter. A values-based leadership is is... Uh, really deep thinking but it's not cerebral to the point where it, it turns you off you can apply what he's writing about yeah 
No, love it. And I and I'm gonna I have listened to quite a bit of John Maxwell before, but I'm gonna I'm gonna find that one out and I'm gonna listen to it again. So thank you for that, Bruce. Yeah. So uh, Bruce, Bruce published 93. Yeah. yeah, 93. Okay. Um really over to you for if you just introduce yourself and give us your two-minute top inspiring leadership tip. Sure thing, yeah. Well, hi, I'm Bruce Lyman. I'm uh, a leader of sorts across a whole range of uh, business activities at the moment, and I've had a whole lot of experience leading from the time I was pretty much walking. And uh, my hot tip around uh, leadership, what to do with leadership, is the concept that leadership's not a suit. Leadership's not something you put on and take off. It's not something you put on when you walk in the office door and take off when you leave. You, you are leading all the time. And if you're going to lead, and, you're, and if you're leading based on uh, a set of values that are a core to yourself, then your, your leadership is about who you are, not what you say. And if your leadership is about who you are, then, uh, well, you can't take it off. You can't put it on. You can't pretend. If, if leadership is not a suit, but it's something that is who you are, it's inherent to who you are, then all of those things that we've been talking about, respect, integrity, transparency, all of those things we strive for as good leaders, they, they come naturally. So yeah, my, my hot tip is don't think about leadership as something you put on. Think about leadership as something that you are. Bruce, thank you very much indeed. Great wisdom. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. It's been probably one of the, uh, the most insightful experiences that a leader has shared and i'm very grateful to you and i wish you every success in the future and any company that can get you to be their ceo and their leader would be very fortunate so bruce thank you for being on the inspiring leadership podcast thank you jonathan i've appreciated the prodding and i've appreciated what you've uh, tested me with and i've certainly appreciated you uh, helping me think about the the roots the origins of my leadership experience has been really valuable too Thanks, Thank Bruce. You. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.